Bibles and turning to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we'll be for the next few minutes. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer and ask for His assistance, ask for His blessing. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, indeed, as we just sang, we are grateful that Jesus has promised to abide with His church, to be faithful to His church, to care for His church, to never leave or forsake His people. Father, we rest on that promise, and we thank You that part of His provision for us is that He feeds us the truth of the Word of God. And so, Father, we ask that your Word and Spirit would have their way with us. Would you open our eyes to see the truth, open our ears to hear the truth, open our minds to know the truth, our hearts to embrace the truth. And, Father, give us enabling grace to live that truth out before a watching world that is lost apart from Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, in addition to having your Bibles open, you may want to have uh, your hymnal open to page 845, the Apostles' Creed. This has been a really encouraging study for me. I had never before really uh, spent much time with the Apostles' Creed other than confessing it, um, reciting it. Um, And in one of the books I'm using, a book called Our Creed for Every Culture and for Every Generation, the author Mark Johnston says this, few things are more precious to Christ and yet more neglected by his people than the church and what the Bible has to say about it. The church is his body and bride. He shed his blood for her salvation. Yet churches and Christians pay scant attention to what the church is and why it matters. Well, for the next 30 minutes or so, we are not going to neglect, but rather pay close attention to what the scriptures, as summarized in these four words from the Apostles' Creed, say about the church. Here we are in week number 10 in our series, Christian, What Do You Believe? An exposition of the Apostles' Creed. Remember that a creed is Latin for I believe. And while subordinate to and under the authority of the Bible, creeds, as we've been seeing, confessions of faith are vitally important as they help our finite, limited minds to organize and summarize the teaching of Scripture. The Apostles' Creed, as you no doubt know by now, was not written by the Apostles themselves. It started to develop in the second century and through the next several centuries, and it became what's known as an ecumenical or worldwide creed, a universal creed confessed by churches all over the world. The Apostles' Creed in particular summarizes the faith, while on the next page you see the Nicene Creed, and that was brought about later to help defend the faith. Now, as we have been seeing, the Apostles' Creed summarizes the teaching of the Apostles, but it does not, by any means, exhaust the teaching. Remember, we've been understanding that I believe doesn't mean faith in faith, but faith in the faith that's been once delivered for all the saints. 
It's important to remind ourselves that having a confession of faith in a worship service is not some sort of dead tradition unless Jesus' words are true, Isaiah's words are true, that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. No, confessing our faith, declaring what we really truly believe serves to strengthen our faith. And as we've been saying, it serves to promote personal humility. We're not the first, we're not going to be the last to believe these things. It serves to both commend the faith, this is what we believe, and also to defend the faith against attacks from the outside and indeed attacks on the inside. And it serves to promote church unity. Because even though we say, I believe, I believe, I believe, we're saying it together with one another. It's a symphony. It's a chorus. We're all singing off of the same sheet of music. Indeed, we need to be reminded of what we know, what we believe. I mean, there are many things we, we don't know. I, I, every day I find out more and more I don't know. However, there are certain things we know for sure that we know without a doubt, things that both anchor our lives and power our lives so that we are appropriately conservative where we need to be conservative and we are appropriately progressive where we need to be progressive to make progress in the faith. We've introduced the creed through the need for a common creed and just two words. We've looked at God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We've looked at God, the Son. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was born, bled, and buried, who was um, uh, raised, resurrected, uh, risen, and returning. Well, three weeks ago, can you believe it? Way back on January 6th, we began this third part of the Trinitarian structure when we said, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And here, we begin to look at the creating, we we see throughout the confession, the creating work of the Father, the rescue work of the Son, and the recreating work of the Holy Spirit. We've seen already now the move from the accomplished work of Jesus Christ to the application of that work by the Holy Spirit. As I may have mentioned the last time we were here, the third section of the Apostles' Creed is not some unrelated series of things. Rather, it's a job description of the Holy Spirit. The quiet but powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Look with me at the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. You see the church as the new community created by the Spirit, the the, uh, forgiveness, a new relationship done by the Spirit, resurrection, new existence by the Spirit, everlasting life, the new destiny by the Spirit. We see in this last section of the Apostles' Creed the community of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, and the hope of the Spirit. For those of you that are curious and learn from table of contents like I do, you may notice that the the Trinity hymnal is organized, roughly speaking, uh, as the, um, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, but also you'll see in it the organizational structure of the Apostles' Creed. And interestingly, you'll see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what 
comes right after the section on the Holy Spirit? The church. The church. It's not an accident. Because today we move from the Holy Spirit in general to the church as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Interestingly, in unfolding the Holy Spirit's application of the work of Jesus Christ, the Apostles' Creed, notice, does not begin with the individual, but it begins with the community. Note well that the Apostles' Creed confesses what it means to believe in the church before it goes on to speak of individual conversion and Christian experience. All of us know that personal identity is shaped and governed by the families into which we were born. Well, so also our Christian identity is shaped and governed by the spiritual family into which we have been reborn. Our understanding of who we are as Christians can never be separated from what it means to belong to the church. My friends, these past two Sundays, my family on Sunday morning spent some time in our living room singing hymns, praying, reading the scripture. And that was well and good. And I hope that you all are, whether it's for five minutes at a start or more, are able to do that as a family. But my friends, there was no substitute for being here with one another. Now probably the biggest challenge in a sermon series on the Apostles' Creed is that because it is a summary of the Christian faith, there are many biblical texts that ground its declarations. One place where both the holiness and Catholicity of the church are found together is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. The fourfold description of the church in the Nicene Creed as being one holy Catholic and apostolic church can also be found there. But for our purposes today, we're going to limit it to what's in the Apostles' Creed, the holy Catholic church. Now everything in the next few minutes won't be able to be said, but by God's grace, something Something important, something significant, something helpful, something encouraging, something convicting will be said. Join with me as I read Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, 
but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Well, first, I believe in the church. We're going to get to holy, we're going to get to Catholic, but let's start with I believe in the church. Do you believe in the church? When I ask people questions, uh, oftentimes the first response to that and other questions, they'll say, well, it depends. I mean, what an answer, right? It depends. It depends on what kind of church it is. Well, a few years ago, I'm not sure how it happened, I ran across a video called Me Church. Me Church. We're not going to watch a video. We're going to hear the words from a video. And I hope your imagination will let you see what you hear. The narrator. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. A middle-aged woman sitting at a desk. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. How about a church service that starts when I get there? The narrator, can do. When you arrive, we begin. A man with his wife and a baby, their baby sitting on a sofa. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys. Narrator, say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. Man and woman working in the yard. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. The narrator. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. An older woman sitting on her porch. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? The narrator. Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. A man with a football in a yard or a park says, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? The narrator, that's asking too much. The man with the football, I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. The narrator, all right, you join now and we'll get you there. And finally, a boy on a bike in a driveway. I'd like a pony. The narrator, look in your backyard. And it concludes, me church, where it's all about you. You know, that's somewhat funny. It's funny, obviously, because it's tapping into a truth out there, isn't it? As to how people view the church. Well, first and foremost, it's not me church. It's the church that's God's church. It's the church of God, the church of Christ. I mean, those denominations, in some ways, have it right. If you look at uh, Ephesians 1, the last verse in chapter 1, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all 
in all. In the New Testament, the word for church is ecclesia, the called out. And it's coming from an Old Testament word, which means gathered or assembled. So Christians and the church are called out of the world and gathered together as the people of God. Well, just how important is the church? Now, from the video uh, that we just listened to, uh, the church is very important for getting, as it were, what you want. But let's hear from both the living and the dead about the importance of the church. First, from the living. Scripture. Let's hear what the Bible has to say in just four places. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Paul says this in Acts 20, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, as he speaks to the Ephesian elders, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says he writes to the church of God, that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and our Lord. In Ephesians 5, Paul writes, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we've heard from the living, the living word of God. Let's hear now from the dead. Let's hear from a few of those who have gone before us in the 3rd century, the 16th century, and just in the 20th century. Cyprian, a church father in the 3rd century, said this, No one can have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. Now that sounds a little odd until you think that John Calvin in the 16th century, one of the great church reformers, who went back to men like Cyprian and himself said this, he who would have God for his father must have the church for his mother. And for those of you who can look on page 6 of the bulletin and the something to think about quote, those thoughts are echoed by Edmund Clowney who ends up saying this, the church according to scripture is not a religious club, a voluntary, a voluntary association of like-minded Christians who cultivate friendship and engage in joint projects, it is rather the institution of Christ and of the Spirit, formed by His power and governed by His Word. So that's just a taste of what it could mean when we say, I believe in the church. Now, if anything, the Apostles' Creed is concise It is a succinct summary of the teaching of the apostles, which, as we saw in Ephesians 2, is the foundation upon which the church is built. The Apostles' Creed uses two words and only two words to describe the church. And children, help me out. Holy and Catholic would be what part of speech? Adjectives, right. They're describing, they're modifying the noun, the church. The first word is holy. And so let's consider what it means when we affirm that we believe in the holy church. Well, what does holy mean? Well, it's a biblical term generally meaning to be set apart. This term is widely used in Scripture to refer to a variety of people and objects 
alike but ultimately points to God as the one who is quantitatively, qualitatively different or set apart from creation. So what does the holy church mean? Uh, Turn with me again to the end of our text, verses 21 and 22. In whom the whole structure, the church, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. The church is set apart by God and for God. Therefore, God sets the agenda for the church. It's holy because it is a people purchased for God by the blood of Christ and it's inhabited by God the Holy Spirit. You see, the church is holy because of the action of God, the call of God, and God's presence. The church is consecrated, dedicated, set apart to God. There's reverence for the Father, love for Jesus Christ, all in the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we say that we believe in the Holy Church, why does it matter? Is it just a throwaway adjective? Kids, did the Apostle uh, Paul somehow just say, well, how can I describe the church in these, in these words? Did the, did the men who authored eventually the, the um, Apostles' Creed, did they just struggle? How can we describe the church? Why does it matter? My friends, as you know, holiness does not make us loved by God. Rather, it reflects our new identity in Christ as those loved by God. It's a new point of reference, an orientation, a code of conduct. It's a new morality. And this is important. Kids, if you want to be countercultural, be a part of the church. Love the church. Love Jesus, who gave himself for the church, that is countercultural. Indeed, this holiness probably brings up the idea of being in the world, but not of the world. Those of you know, I spent some time in the Navy and I sailed all around the world, and it was great when the ship was on the water, when the water was on the outside, and it was very, very bad. When the water got on the inside. That's the church. We are living in the world. We are sailing on the waters of the world. But when the waters of the world get into the ship. That's a big problem. It's important. To remember. That God has declared the church to be holy. You see, there is sanctification that is both definitive and progressive. It's both a state and a status, but it's ongoing transformation. You heard earlier, Paul, in writing to the church of Corinth that had really, really big problems. He said they were holy. They were saints. And throughout Corinthians, we don't have time to look at it, but in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, uh, flee from sexual immorality. 10, 14, flee idolatry. Uh, in, in chapter 16 is a verse 
that uh, the men of the church often reflect upon that says this in 1 Corinthians um, chapter uh, 16, verses 13 and 14. Now this is to people he's already said are saints. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you, be do, that you do be done in love. In other words, I have declared you holy. Now grow. Become eventually what you have been declared to be. Well, not only do we affirm that the church is holy, we also believe that the church is Catholic. I believe in the church that God has declared to be Catholic. And we'll see that primarily in verses 14 through 18 and to 19 of chapter 2. Well, what does Catholic mean? The word itself, it means general, universal, concerning the whole. It's the church in its totality. The church in the universal church. Remember Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't even say, interestingly, I will build the church, which is true. But Jesus said, I will build my church, that one church, that one worldwide church. The Catholicity of the church and its unity and diversity, we're going to sing in just a few minutes. Elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth. One church over all the earth. The church is worldwide. It is global, not only in geography, but also across generations. Were your grandparents believers? They're part of the church. Will your great-grandchildren that are not yet born believe in Jesus? They will be part of the church. It's worldwide, across the lands and across time, through the ages. Well, we've just mentioned briefly, what does the word Catholic mean? Well, what does the word Catholic not mean? I think Microsoft Word is biased because every time I typed in holy Catholic, what happened? Capitalized. I mean, it was frustrating to like remove the capital. It is not capitalized because it does not mean what the Roman Catholic Church understands it to mean. There's a couple of reasons. One, there was no Roman Catholic Church at the time when the creed was written and developed. And reason number two, given our understanding of what even the word Catholic means, it's self-contradictory. By definition, there can't be a Roman Catholic Church or any other kind of Catholic Church other than the Holy Catholic Church. Well, why does it matter? God's plan from the beginning was to form a people for His own possession. The Old Testament prophets foresaw a day in which people from all nations would worship the Lord, the one true God, the covenant Lord of Israel. We heard that in Isaiah 19. And in the New Testament, all believers, no matter their background, are one in Christ Jesus. We saw that when we looked at Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. The Apostles' Creed gives us a sense of being part of something bigger than ourselves. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And when we say that, when we affirm that, when we confess that, interestingly, it protects us from both pride, the size of my congregation, the ministries we have, the cool people that are part of us, 
It protects us against pride as well as despair. We're small. We're isolated. We're alone. We're weak and inadequate. My friends, just confessing I believe in the Holy Catholic Church keeps us on the road of both confidence and humility and out of the ditch of pride and arrogance on one side and discouragement and despair on the other. Well, summing it up, Peter writes in his second chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Did you hear it? Did you get it? The Holy Catholic Church consists of those people who have received the mercy of God. My friends, we cannot get away from this theme. I mean, it's there in the Magnificat. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He remembers mercy. Y'all remember before I once said that I think I want to call this church Grace, Peace, and Mercy Church, right? Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Well, let's wrap up with a word about the big picture and then a word of warning and encouragement. The big picture of past, present, and future. My friends, when you affirm belief in the Holy Catholic Church, you are affirming belief in God's purpose and plan from the beginning to gather a people for Himself, to be their God, and for you to be His people. When you affirm belief in the Holy Catholic Church, you are joining your voice to a chorus of people past, present, and future. And it is important along those lines to see the big perspective. The other day I was talking with someone and uh, I I always like the expression, um, you can't see the forest for the trees, right? You're so focused on the trees, you can't see the forest. But I I like this expression, you're... You can't see the painting because you're too close to the canvas. So it's important to step back to see the forest, to step back and see the painting. Let's step back for a moment and consider the small, fledgling, weak church in Ephesus that at the time was dwarfed by one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The temple of Artemis. Artemis the Great. Where is that temple now? Artemis the Great is not really that great after all. And our society around us has various temples, reputation, Fame, power, control, oppression, suppression that people are walking into and bowing down and worshiping every day. You and I are among them as well. 
But at the end of the day, those don't last. The church lasts. The church is all over the world, including Florence, Kentucky. And finally, this section of the creed presents a warning and an encouragement. The church is Catholic. It humbles us. The church is bigger than us. Grace and peace is part of the church, but it is not the church. We belong to the church that Jesus says is my church. And the church is holy. It encourages us because we have been set apart for God's good purposes. And this presents all of us with this question. Are you a member? Are you a member? Acts 2, chapter 2, verse 47, speaks of those who were being saved were added to the church. Me, church. Yes, what about me and the church? It's a good question. Am I a part? Am I a member? Not through the vows themselves, but am I a member through faith in Jesus Christ? Am I trusting Christ alone for being in a right relationship with God? Am I turning from sin, acknowledging sin, and turning to Christ in faith? That's how you become a member of the church, and our membership vows just reflect that reality. Believing in the church can only be fully known and experienced by belonging to the church. The church of Jesus Christ that is both holy and Catholic. Well, let's end where we began by reminding ourselves of our call not to neglect that which is so valuable to Jesus. And so if you would just turn with me in the hymnal, we're not going to sing it, but just turn to 353. The problem with a sermon on the church is there's too many good hymns to sing. So I want you just to listen to these words when you think about neglecting what is so precious to the Lord Jesus Christ. I love thy kingdom, Lord, the house of thine abode, the church our blessed Redeemer saved with his own precious blood. I love thy church, O God, her walls before thee stand, dear as the apple of thine eye and graven on thy hand. For her my tears shall fall, for her my prayers ascend, to her my cares and toils be given, till toils and cares shall end. Beyond my highest joy, I prize her heavenly ways, her sweet communion, solemn vows, her hymns of love and praise. Jesus, thou friend divine, our Savior and our King, thy hand from every snare and foe shall great deliverance bring. Sure as thy truth shall last, to Zion shall be given the brightest glories earth can yield and brighter bliss of heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this description of your body, the body of Christ, the, uh, the bride of Christ, that that church, the church that Jesus purchased with his own blood is both holy, 
and Catholic. Holiness encourages us. The Catholicity of the church humbles us. Oh, Father, we thank you that you have and are continuing to save your people, rescue your people, and bring them into the holy Catholic church. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.